All right, with that said, we are in the final week of our Open Door series. And uh, this has been an incredible series talking about God's heart wide open to us, that Jesus Christ is the wide open door uh, to God, and that we, the church, are the wide open door to Jesus. And it's been a great series. And, um, and before we get into this final, this final part, I want to show you a word and uh, just ask you what you think of this word. You ready? Yeah, a lot, lot of uncomfortable laughter going on because we know the power of this word. This word is in many ways just tearing our country apart. I mean, it, and there's debates and sides and all kinds of things. And, and, and you might be saying, hey, pastor, don't even get into it. And I'm not, don't worry. It's just to show that one word has a lot of power. The word we're talking about this month is the word door. Door. And all that that engenders, all that that brings up, the word door is really a wonderful thing. It's a wonderfully biblical metaphor about who God is and who we are to be. A wide open door inviting the world into love, inviting the world into a relationship with God by grace. This is what we're talking about this month. A door. This imagery of a wide open door. Three weeks ago when we started this series, Jesus said this. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's a wonderful vision of a life lived in the freedom of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. By his forgiving grace, we can know God the Father. We don't have to wonder whether or not we're good with him. Have we done enough? Are we good enough? Are we religious enough? Through Jesus, that is settled. Through Jesus Christ, all he did for us to forgive us and bring us into a right relationship with God is given to us freely by grace, right? He's the open door. Jesus is the open door to the Father. And then the Father looks to us, his church, and he says, now you be an open door to me. 2 Corinthians 5 puts it this way. Through Christ, he reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation means to come together, right? Through Jesus, we come together with the Father. Through Jesus, we are sent to bring the world to Jesus, to reconcile the world to him. And so the church is the open door to Jesus. And then last week, Steve talked about the family being an open door to one another, that we can actually practice this love and this grace at home, being an open door at home. Family can be an open door through honesty, acceptance, and encouragement. And where a family is an open door of honesty, acceptance, and encouragement, we thrive. Where those doors start to shut, we're miserable. If you didn't get Steve's sermon uh, last week, you got to get it. Online, rancho.tv, get our podcast, subscribe to it. His message last week was incredible. Today, we're going to talk about what I think is probably the hardest thing to do. Our lives can be an open door to the world. Our lives can be an open door to the world. Now, you might think, well, the family thing's harder, and you might be right, but Opening our lives to the world in relationship with the world is incredibly difficult. Now, what do I mean to have an open door life? Well, I'll define it this way. A life that is kind, warm, and welcoming to everyone. Kind, warm, and welcoming to everyone. Now, I read that, and to be honest with you, I kind of cringe a little bit because I am by nature an introvert. I like things kind of small. I like the small little world of my family, very comfortable there. I like even a smaller world by myself because when I'm by myself, I'm always right. I always agree with everything I think. I always get along with me and I always get my way with me. It's really simple when it's just me. And, and then there's a comfort zone with the family and then a few friends. I, I'm, I'm really comfortable in smaller environments. And, and you might think, well, you know, why are you a pastor then? You're up on the stage. I'm by myself up here. It's perfect, right? 
About uh, seven years ago, our board um, asked me if I was relationally connected, if I had real deep friendships. And I had to be honest with them at the time. They were giving me my review and, and you know, they care about me and my family. And I said, you know, I really don't have a lot of friendships. The, the friendships I have are, are good and they're fine, but they're kind of managed, you know. We're all in the same zone, a lot of them through the church. And so they encouraged me and I, I went along happily to build deeper friendships and broader friendships to open the door of my life even more. And it was a big risk for me. In fact, I was incredibly nervous going that road because I like things small and I like things the same. And so the idea of breaking out of that and to get to know people who are different than me all over the, the country was really kind of fun. In fact, this last week, I was in um, Denver for a few days and then Phoenix for a few days connecting with all these friends that I have made over these last seven years. And even now, even though they're friends of mine, I still have to kind of force myself, get in that room, get in that medium to small size room, get to know people, rub shoulders, ask questions, try to remember everybody's name and family and life situation, right? To, to just get out there and open the doors relationally. It's difficult for an introvert, but it's difficult for everybody, frankly, for a few reasons. It's hard to let go of tribalism. We are all tribal by nature. I mean, we really are. In fact, this is brain science. Brain science has our, it says our brains are wired for tribalism. Why? Because tribalism in primitive times, that's how you lived. If you weren't a part of a tribe in primitive days, you were dead. You had to be in a tribe. That, that tribe existed for many, many reasons, right? That tribe existed for survival. You had to be a part of a group for protection. That tribe gives us the sense of safety. I have allies, people who have my back. Tribes give us a sense of community, that I'm not alone. And tribes, and this is important today, tribes give us a sense of affirmation. If I'm in a circle of people who look like me and think like me, we're patting each other on the back, affirming each other. Yeah, you're good, you're good. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all here saying we're good. You're right, you're right, you're right. I'm right. Ooh, I feel good about that. We might even feel that we're better than others if we're in a tribe. Now, a tribe is not just our minds might go to loincloths and, you know, tribes in, in jungles. It's not that. Tribalism is behavior and attitudes that stem from strong loyalty to one's own homogenous group. This tribalism is in all of us. It's in all of us. Even in modern times, it's in all of us. And some of life's big structures uh, cause us to be in, in tribes whether we want to or not. It's just how things are structured. Our ethnicity structures us in a tribe, how we look, um, our traditions. Our nation puts us in a tribe. And there's a national pride that comes as a result. None of this is bad in and of itself, but it could be. Our gender and sexuality can be a tribe. Our community can be a tribe. Where we live, the actual place we live. Typically, it's surrounded by sameness, especially in California, all right? Everything looks exactly the same, which means people make about the same kind of income. Kids are about the same, you know, season of life. Um, communities can be a tribe. Our vocation can be a tribe, not just the field we've chosen, but are you, you know, on a, a line employee or middle management or are you in the executive suites, right? Our tribes are defined by our vocation and then season of life. And not just the season of life, but what your kids are involved in, that's your tribe. We get in these micro tribes. It's just the way life goes. Again, it's not all bad, but there's a broader world out there that I think God wants us to be a part of. Another thing that really prevents us from having open doors are the causes that we engage in, political causes, social causes, religious causes. We get around like-minded people who think the same way, and we like it. It's comfortable. It's safe. We're protected, and we're affirmed. It's hard to break out of tribalism. 
But if we're stuck in tribalism, our life can look like this, just a plate of white rice. And, and I, I use white rice intentionally. That's, that was my life seven years ago. It was white rice life. A lot of white people, a lot of 40-year-olds, that's just the way it was. There's a bigger world than that. That white rice can turn into something really cool like the best meal ever made, ever. Seared ahi, ooh, a mango salsa, avocado, and there's the white rice. Still got to have the white rice. That's what God wants from us, right? God, God wants us to experience all the textures, the flavors, the diversity of life. In order for us to get that meal as opposed to a plate of stale white rice, man, we've got to open those doors. And it has to be intentional. I'm going to seek out diverse relationships. But the tragedy is today, and we're seeing this with our own eyes, is our culture, particularly American culture right now, is, is descending back into neo-tribalism. Every, every news report is neo-tribalism, even you know, religious communities, neo-tribalism. Let's, let's get further and further into the protection of sameness. I want to be around people who think like me. And when I'm around people who think like me, I get the courage now to condemn people that don't think like me. And that's our culture today. Hard for me to say that because I do believe the world is getting better and better and better. And yet there's a little bump in the road where neo-tribalism has taken over and people are retreating into their camps as opposed to together solving the world's problems. I believe Jesus came to free us from tribalism. Jesus came to free us from tribalism. Now, Jesus was a Jew and Jews were very fiercely tribal. This is my, my nation, my ethnicity, my religion, all wrapped up in, in being a Hebrew. And then the 12 tribes and knowing what your tribe is and knowing your, your family lineage, they were all about the tribe, among the most fiercely tribal groups to have ever existed on earth. And yet here comes Jesus through a tribal community telling the world, let's break free from tribalism. Jesus taught that the Samaritan is the neighbor of the Jew. If you know anything about Near East history, the Samaritan would never be a neighbor of a Jew. It would never happen. They'd consider each other unclean and dogs. Jesus broke the cultural barriers that divided ethnicities. Jesus broke the cultural barriers that kept women um, on, on the sideline and treated them as less than men. Jesus broke the cultural barriers that separated the sacred people, the holy people, from the secular people and caused that kind of divide. Jesus lived his life as an open door, kind, warm, and welcoming to everyone. That's how he lived. And then his church took on that mission, and, and, and they started equipping each other in a life lived in love and warmth and welcoming, a life of an open door. So much so, this passage was, was written in the book of Galatians. To me, it's the high watermark of the vision of what we can be together. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Ethnicity, nationality is not our primary identity. There's neither slave nor free. Economy is not our primary identity. There is neither male nor female. Gender is not our primary identity. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's this vision. The whole world can be one in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to, to leave us with the law of love. And as we practice love towards one another and practice living a life that's an open door, not in our camps, not in our cultural camps, not in our tribal camps, but living a life that's an open door and living a life boldly in this world, connecting with the diverse people around us, building deep and powerful relationships. As we do that, the world comes together and is united in love. That's the world that Jesus envisioned. Our identity not based on ethnicity, nationality, gender, income, religion, and politics. 
Those things are not unimportant. They're important. They're, they're an important part of life. Let's engage in those areas for sure. Let's have our opinions in those areas and our convictions. No problem. But let's have our primary identity in Christ. I'll put it this way. This is about the most succinct I can put our identity in Christ. I'm a dearly loved and forgiven child of God by his grace through Jesus Christ. Not about good works and religion. I'm a child of God by his grace through Jesus Christ. And I belong to a global family of faith devoted to loving everyone everywhere. This is who I am and this is how I live. I mean, it's succinct. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. Sign me up. Through a relationship with Jesus Christ, I have a, a bold relationship with God the Father. I don't have to prove anything to him. Good works, religion. I'm just loved by him. And then now I can love everyone everywhere in a global family of faith. It's pretty cool. But it's hard to break out of tribalism. It's also hard to break out of a drive to win. It's hard to let go of the drive to win. What do I mean by that? Um, first of all, I like winning. I like winning more than I like losing. I don't like losing. That's why I play golf with Ryan Beaver. <clears throat> um, if, if we're in a competition, I want to be there first. If we're, we're at sports teams, we want to be number one. I mean, you don't get into something to, to lose, right? You know the famous saying, it's not about whether you win or lose, it's whether you win. That's, I love, you know, it's, that's how I, I do things. No problem with that. The problem is when we take that drive to win and we actually then mistreat other people towards that goal, right? And, and that's the perception today. The perception today is that we live in a zero-sum game world. You know what I mean by that? Zero-sum game, that there are a limited amount of resources. And, and if somebody has, that means other people have not. There are a limited amount of resources, limited amount of money, limited amount of success. We only have so much. And so if somebody has, that means somebody has not. That's what we think the world is about. And so every political debate, typically, is around winning and losing. Whether you're arguing about taxes, who wins, who loses. When you're arguing about social causes, who wins, who loses. Talking about justice issues, who wins, who loses. We live in a win-loss paradigm. But that's simply not true. We don't live in a big uh, poker tournament, right? <clears throat> poker fans? Yep, look at this. You're, you're a good crowd here. You're playing poker. There's only a, a fixed number of chips on the poker table. And there's somebody who's going to take it all and others are going to have none. And that's, that's how a lot of us perceive the world. There are winners and there are losers. So how can we maybe make sure there's fewer winners so there can be fewer losers? That's the perception. It's not, it's not accurate. It's a fallacy. It's a false dilemma fallacy. The reality is there is enough food on earth to feed everybody. That's the reality. We really disappointed a lot of grandmothers today because, you know, hey, you eat all your food because there's uh, starving people in China. The world doesn't work that way. There's enough food for everybody. And if you leave a little bit of food there, we're not shipping it to China. There's enough food for everybody. There are enough natural raw materials to shelter everyone comfortably. There's enough technology and manpower to bring basic utilities, basic health care, and basic education to everybody. Every man, woman, and child on earth. We do not have a scarcity problem. This world does not have a scarcity problem. There are enough resources for everyone. What the world has is a problem with win-lose. Somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. The problem isn't the availability of resources, technologies, or manpower. The problem is the political, social, systemic structures and religious structures, win-lose structures, tribal structures, that keep some people and nations in prosperity and other people and nations in poverty. 
Jesus came to bring a whole new paradigm that's not about win-lose and not about tribalism. It's about win-win. I know that's a cliche, but that's the reality. When we don't think about win-lose, when we understand there is enough for everyone, we can then work without fear that somebody's going to take away from me so that we can give something to somebody else. Here's the vision in Galatians 5 again. You were called to freedom. We are free. Galatians is all about we're free from religious law. We're free from the commandments. We're just free because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So what are we going to do with that freedom? Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't use your freedom to serve yourself. Instead, through love, serve one another. It goes on to say, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus defined neighbor as everyone, even your enemy, everyone. The world is about love. And so it's no longer about win-lose. It's no longer I have to get ahead and some people might be left behind. It's not a zero-sum game. In fact, if we can break out of the zero-sum game mentality, we can live life not only for our success, but also for the success of others. It's possible. We can do it. My win then becomes the success of others without being threatened that I'm going to lose. It's not a zero-sum game. It's this. There isn't scarcity. Let's make sure everybody can win. We, we, we don't have to make sure other people lose so that other people can win. Every argument tends to be tainted by that win-lose mentality. It's hard to get rid of tribalism. It is hard to get rid of this drive to win. And it's also hard to think I am the them. It's hard to think that I am the them. There's an us and then there's a them. And it's easy for us to think of us as the us, right? We've got our tribe, the tribe of us. We all think alike. We kind of look alike. We have the same kind of background, same kind of economy. We get together and we affirm each other. We are the us. And then with the confidence of the tribe, we can say, and there's the them. They're not quite as right as us. They don't look as good as us. They don't have the, the, the better traditions that we have. They don't have you know, the right way of thinking. And as a result, we only think of us as the us. Well, the reality is we are also the them. There are people looking at us and judging us. We are the them. Um, have you ever called somebody and said, hey, you know what? I'm stuck in traffic. Here's the reality. You're not stuck in traffic. You are traffic. <laughs> we never think of ourselves as traffic. They're the traffic, and I'm the one that's stuck. I'm the us. They're the them. I'm stuck in them. We don't say, I'm contributing to a whole mess of traffic for these poor other people. We never say that. We would not even think it. We wouldn't even think it. We are the them. My wife and I were uh, shopping at an outlet mall. It's near a tourist area, so there's people there from all over the world. And I'm telling you, the judgment never stops. And I, I knew this sermon was coming, and I was still catching myself judging. Everybody. I hate preparing sermons because I know it's <laughs> got a hit here. And so, you know, oh, you think you look getting that? You know, this is what I'm thinking in my head. I see a family dynamic, and I'm judging the dad and judging the kids and judging. Stop the judge. It's always, constant, never stops. Always judging. And then I have to realize they're looking at me, judging me. You think you look getting that? I'm sorry, you don't. You know, I walk right on by. <laughs> judge, judge, judge. We're the them. We are the them. Now, alongside of scriptural principles, uh, there is this incredible work of literature we need to indoctrinate our kids in, Dr. Seuss. Now, the star-bellied sneetches had bellies with stars. The plain-bellied sneetches had none upon theirs. Two tribes. 
But because they had stars, all these star-bellied sneeches would brag we're the best kind of sneeches on beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort. We'll have nothing to do with the plain-bellied sort. And whenever they met some, when they were out walking, they'd hike right on past them without even talking. This is tribal. This is win-loss. This is us-them. Happens all the time. Who comes alongside? Sylvester McMonkey McBean. He comes in and he cashes in. There's tribal fighting here. You pay me some money, I'll give you stars on your belly. You could be just like them. And the people that had stars are like, I don't want to be like them. I know I'm not different. I want my stars removed. So they go through the star removal machine. And he's piling up the cash. Who are the Sylvester McMonkey McBeans of today? <laughs> News media, politicians, religious leaders. There could be more, but those are the three that always pop up in my head. News media, they make a ton of money. The more they can divide and the more they can put out red meat, the more money they make, the more viewers, the more advertisement. Politicians, I'm not saying they're all bad. Politicians, same thing. The more we can get people angry and outraged, the more money pours into politicians' coffers. Religious leaders, the more we can convince religious congregations, you know, we're the moral ones and we're the right ones and they're not moral and they're not right and give us the money to, to advance the cause, right? Politicians, news media, Religious leaders, be careful, be careful. It's just Sylvester McMonkey McBean soaking up cash while we are fighting. It does not have to be like that. I had a conversation with my wife a couple days ago, just kind of imagining, you know, all these divisions, the, the justice divisions, the political divisions, the immigration divisions, the abortion divisions, the sexuality divisions, just kind of imagining where all of these divisions have a ton in common, and I just started talking, where do all these divisions have a ton? You'd, we would be shocked. All these people who are fighting and lobbying all kinds of hate toward each other actually have about 95% of every issue in common. If you doubt me, I will sit down with you and have the same conversation over lunch, over coffee, whatever. We are fighting over the very tiny edges of things. There's so much in common. If we would, instead of having closed doors in our tribes and win-loss mentality and us-them mentality, if we would maybe open our doors and build relationships with everybody everywhere, especially those who are different than us, seeking relationships, I mean deep, real relationships, not debating sparring partners, but real relationship with people who don't think like us, who disagree with us on any number of issues, build relationships, build friendships. And I think we'd be surprised if we can get ourselves out of the Sylvester McMonkey McBean machinery and get ourselves in human relationships, what incredible good can come as a result? I think that's the vision of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. There's a couple hundred phrases in the Bible that blow my mind. This is one of them. Count others more significant than yourself. That word count means make a decision because it's not going to feel right. What we feel is the emotional compulsion to be a tribe, the emotional compulsion to go win-lose, the emotional compulsion to be us-them. This says count. Make a decision to do the opposite. Make a decision to think of others as more significant than yourself. What does that mean? I'm gonna make a decision. Your opinion on an issue is more significant than mine, so I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna hear you out. I'm gonna really listen. 
going to ask you questions. How did you get to that opinion? Because you are significant. In fact, I'm going to make a decision. You're more significant than me. Your life's background is more significant than mine. Your political views are more significant than mine. That's how I'm going to decide to live this life as a wide open door. If we lived our life like this, imagine the love and relationship that would exist on this earth and imagine the problems that would be solved as a result. When all this time and energy and emotion and resources does not go to the Sylvester McMonkey McBeans of the world, but goes to really solving the problems that this world still faces, all solved in love and relationship together. I know this sounds idealistic, Pollyanna. You're probably shaking your head. I, but I'm listening to the heart of Jesus here, and I see it so clear. And I've lived enough of this, not perfectly for sure, but I've lived enough of this to know when we take the risk to open the doors of our lives and intentionally build relationships with people unlike us, everything changes. Life is more full of color, full of texture, full of taste that I had never experienced before. I now have dozens and dozens of close friends with people all over the country Right, who are rich and poor, gay and straight, of every ethnicity, intentionally building relationships with people that are unlike me. And as an introvert, a fierce introvert, I'm telling you, nothing is more scary than coming up to a person, spend an hour with a wonderful woman, and I know we differ on a lot of things, but just taking the time, we're going to sit down in this chair and we're going to get to know each other's lives. And there's a friendship that's emerging there. That enriches all of us. It's not that the world has, you know, is just waiting for my wonderful things to their life. I am waiting for the world's wonderful things to be invested in my life. And that enriches all of us. So let's get very specific as we close. Do you have a family member that you don't get along with? I'm going to rephrase that. What's the family member you don't get along with? <laughs> could be a list. Have a name, have a face. There could be some hurt there, some betrayal there. If we are going to open the doors of our lives, I'm just going to ask you, you don't have to do it. Grace-based, right? Reach out to them. Find a way to reach out to them. And you might need to say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, or both. Build a relationship. And it could very well be that um, there's something significant there, and, and walk a road of healing, walk a road of forgiveness, and it very well may be that you extend a hand of friendship, and that hand doesn't return to you, and that's okay. That's okay. Is there somebody that you know in your family that uh, you need to build, build uh, bridges with? How about in your workplace? Is there somebody you just don't get along with in your workplace? I just want to encourage you. Put that face, put that name in your head, and wherever there's an opportunity to, to, to talk to that person, and it could be for a number of reasons. It could be your kind of competitors. It could be they got the bonus you didn't. It could be they took a client. I don't know, whatever. Just reach out to them. Hey, how you doing? Oh, great. You know, how are your kids? I don't have any kids. Oh, boy, we have a long way to go, right? I made that mistake this week. Hey, how are your kids? I don't have any kids. I should have known that. Sorry. And just keep going. Just keep walking, right? There's risks. And I'd say as important as anything we've talked about, is there a group of people that you're most uncomfortable with? And, and whatever is in your head is exactly what I'm talking about. What group of people are you most uncomfortable with? It could be around political views. It could be around racial ethnic. It could be around sexuality. What are the, what are the, what's a group that you're most uncomfortable with? And I want to encourage you there will be very little more powerful that can happen in your life than you opening the door of your life, reaching out and extending a hand of friendship. I, I get accused and Rancho gets accused a lot of saying, you know, people think, 
Does that mean you compromise your, your convictions in order to love people? I get this all the time. There's not a week that goes by where I don't get an email or hear about some accusation. Uh, you know, you compromise in order to build friendships. And there's, again, a false dilemma there that you either have to hold tightly to your convictions and almost use them as a weapon against people. Hold tightly to convictions or build relationships with people. And, and it's almost like it's one or the other. You've got to choose. you either got to be hardcore, all-in convictions and, and everybody else out, or you are very friendly and open door, and then you're compromising. The religious world thinks like that, and the political world thinks like that in crazy, literally crazy ways. It's not true. We can do both. And I'm going to prove it to you right now as we close. If you would like, I'm not going to tell you what to do because I hate people from stages telling me what to do. Uh, close your left fist. Just lightly close your left fist. You can either hold it like this if you're, you don't care what people think. You can hold it in your lap or you can just say, I'm not going to do it, but in my mind, that's closed fist. That's what I would do. I'm not going to do it, but in my mind. So closed left, left hand. These are your convictions. The, the, this could be your, your tribal experience, your ethnicity. Your, you're an American um, and you have certain values. Uh, you're a Christian with certain values. You have certain moral values and convictions. So these are the things that you hold dear with your left hand. You also have a right hand that you can extend out in friendship. You have a right hand you can extend out in friendship. And, and we can actually do both. I'm going to prove we can do both. You ready? I'm going to prove it. I'm going to crack the glass wall between the stage and the, and the auditorium. And I can hold some things with my left hand, and I could shake some hands. How are you guys doing? Good to see you. Good to see you, Jackie. How's it going? Yes, all right. That wasn't that hard, right? Now, we may not agree on everything, right? Jack and I work together. We definitely don't agree on everything, right? So we can hold our, con our convictions, no problem, but still extend a hand of kindness. And we don't have to then, hey, then punch him in the face. Or <laughs> no, just hold him, hold him. And, and we, might find, we might find that these convictions get further watered and fertilized, and these convictions become more mature, Right? And I know some of us wouldn't even want to think about changing anything, but I'm just telling you, avoiding the, the real world conversations and clustering in tribes and win and loss and us and them is a stale, bland plate of rice. Open yourself up to deeper relationships and watch what God does through your life. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. Uh, the very nature of divinity coming down and opening the door of his life to connect with everybody who was unlike him. There was none like him. He has no equal. And yet he opened the door of his life to connect with thousands upon thousands of people who are very unlike him. Those who are outside of his, his tribe, his lineage, his nation, those who are, who are outside his, his religious background, those who were less holy or pure than him. He opened the door of his life and he reached out. And he gathers a church together, the assembly of those who follow him. And we have seen he wants us to have our doors wide open as well. There isn't a, a decision to make here between the things that we, are, we hold as conviction and loving open relationships. There is no conflict there. We can both hold to, to truth and the things that we perceive and are convicted of as truth. And we can extend a hand of friendship just like Jesus. We can extend love to everyone everywhere, and our lives will be enriched as a result. We will be more mature. We will have a, a wonderful, full, and diverse life as we share uh, opinions and perspectives and backgrounds, share uh, our, our different cultures and our successes and failures, all of it towards the goal of being deeply connected in a relationship. And as we're deeply connected in love, 
the kingdom of heaven advances on earth. In Christ's name we pray, amen.